Would you please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians? I'd like to finish uh, as quickly as we can this morning the second part of the message I started last week as we looked at some general observations about the fruit of the Spirit and we got into uh, the first of nine different manifestations of a Spirit-filled Christian as we talked last week about the first and the greatest manifestation of God's Spirit in our life and that is uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love because love is the sum and the source of all the rest of these qualities. And as we begin this morning, and I'm going to have to move quickly, our time is short, and I want to work through this as, as quickly as possible. I want you to know that everything that we're going to say from this point forward finds its root, finds its source, finds its spring out of our love for God. As we grow in our love for God, then that's what begins to change us in all the various areas of our life. And as we've been learning all semester, as we've talked about walking in the Spirit, it's the only way to live the Christian life. Nothing else is going to work. Uh, It's not going to come because you follow law. It's not going to come because you have the license to do what you want. Christian liberty is actually not necessarily... Christian liberty is not a freedom to do what I want. It's the freedom that God gives me through Christ. And that is the transformation of my inner man where I become a new creation in Christ. And so this morning, I'd like us to continue as we have been looking, or as we started last week, uh, understanding that there's a triad of triads. That is, there are three qualities in three different ways that manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And last week, we started with the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in the believer's relationship with God as we spoke about love. And so I'd like us to continue as we just work through verses 22 and 23 as he gives us these manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. And the second one I'd like us to look at as we begin this morning is that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, what is joy? Well, let me ask you this question. What is it that you enjoy? Now, we have a tendency to think that joy and enjoy are two different things. Joy is something out there that's really super spiritual that maybe I get there and over here there's all kinds of things that I enjoy. And I would like to beg to differ with you that joy is joy. Whether joy is in something that I enjoy here in life, but there's also an enjoyment that I actually have in God. What is it that you delight in? I will often be asked, what do you do for fun? You know, as if working at Bob Jones University can't possibly be fun. But actually, I actually like work. I enjoy working. I enjoy working here. I don't go home and say, okay, now I can have real fun. But there's stuff I enjoy, just like you have things that you enjoy. If I were to put it down in just simple things, it's either I enjoy sports, I enjoy music, and I enjoy family and friends. It's really that simple. Um, I, I got home late last night, and I DVR'd uh, during the day Manchester United beating Fulham yesterday. That was a delightful experience last night as I watched the game at about 11 to 11.30. And that's a delightful thing for me. I delight in a good cup of coffee. Life is too short to drink bad coffee. And so I love coffee. I, I, I think life is too short to pass up bacon. If you have bacon, eat it. It's there. And it, it's all sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. And so uh, and life is too short to drive, not drive a pickup truck. I mean, you can have your SUV, but a real man drives a pickup truck. And so... Um, You know, those are things that I like. Those are things that I enjoy. However, I would like to say this, that the greatest experience of joy in my life is actually coming to enjoy 
the Lord. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You should enjoy your spiritual experience with God. Joy is growing, is a growing delight in the Lord and in His presence. We find joy in His presence. Psalm 1611, in His presence is fullness of joy. We find joy in His Word. The Bible says, Thy words are found, and I did eat them, and Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I remember as a sophomore in college, sitting at my desk, reading my Bible and starting to laugh because the very joy that I was looking for in the world that I could never get, I found sitting there at a desk reading my Bible and having a sense of the presence of God. John writes about it in 1 John chapter 1 when he says, These things that we have seen and heard declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And these things I write unto you that your joy may be full. When God sent his people up to the city of Jerusalem to worship him, he always said, Don't come into my presence with a sad face. He said, Come up here with joy. But joy is not found necessarily in all of the circumstances of life. Joy is found in the Lord, in His Word, in His presence, and in His promises. Joy is found in the delight in serving other people. Uh, there is no real joy in serving yourself. That never makes you happy. It's always when I can be able to be a service to other people. And ultimately, my joy has to be found in life in the future hope of the gospel that we have because of our faith in Christ. Think about it this way. As we understand the gospel in its fullness, we realize that the gospel started in eternity past and it will continue to eternity future, and we're right in that process. When we understand that God actually called us personally to salvation because God chose us personally to salvation... If we understand that God has justified us so that right now we stand right with God and one day he's going to glorify us in a state where we will actually be perfectly righteous. If we come to understand that no matter what takes place in my life, that God is going to fulfill his purpose. We can't mess up God's plan. God is going to do his work and he's going to do it for my my good. Therefore, my joy is not really affected by all the circumstances that are going on, but it is resting in God's sovereign and divine control. Now, that's something that's easy to say. It's not easy to, to, to live and experience. As I read in my Bible this morning, how the disciples were in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat in the midst of the storm and they were all living in fear and Jesus when he when they woke him up said guys what's your problem why is your faith so small so for most of us we live in stormy waters and we are learning to grow in our faith but ultimately that our joy is found in the one who's sleeping in the back of the boat and that leads me to the next uh, fruit of the spirit and that is peace So when we're walking in the spirit, we not only experience the love of God and the joy of God, but we also experience the peace of God. So what is peace? Well, when we think of peace, we probably think of a calm water. We think of a life free of problems. Well, that's not really necessarily peace because that's not really real world. You know, people have a tendency to live in two worlds, either the real world or the dream world. Dream world is what I'm living in my head. It's just not the real world I'm living in. But peace is something that God gives to his people as a special blessing. 
What is peace? Peace is a trans- tranquility of soul before our righteous God. It is understanding that I can stand before God not in fear, not in shame, but in peace. Now, how in the world do I do that? Because I cannot do that. If I look at myself, I'm going to be depressed. If I look at people, I'm going to be disappointed. But if I understand the grace that is in Jesus Christ, that his perfect life is my perfect life, that his death is my death, that his resurrection is my resurrection, and I look away from myself and I look to Christ, the Bible says being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. We are at peace. And for most of us, we all are often troubled about our own confidence. If I could say our confidence, I could even say our assurance of salvation. Not that you don't know you're saved, but living with that peace. And that peace does not come by my perfect life. It comes by by, by the perfect life of Jesus. As I learn that, as I learn to rest in that, I rest in his blood. I rest in his atonement that will cleanse me from my sin. So it is a peace that comes in my soul as I learn to trust Christ. And then also let me say that obviously peace is emotional. There is an emotional tranquility. Or you could put it in simple modern terms, there's good mental health. And how do I experience that? Well, the Bible says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God in the peace of God, which is actually experiential, which passes all knowledge, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As we learn to pray in such a way that we roll our cares on the Lord, we roll our fears on the Lord, we cast them upon him. The Bible says God will keep us in perfect peace. And that phrase, perfect peace, in the Hebrew language is two words. It's The first word is the word shalom, and the second word is the word shalom. Literally reads, thou shalt keep him in sh- shalom, shalom. Why does he say that? Because when God makes an emphasis, he says it twice. Like Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you. And when he says he will keep you in shalom, shalom, he's talking about a wholeness, a wellness, a stability. He's talking about security. He's talking about healthy relationships. We know when we're sick and we know when we're healthy. When we're sick, we we, we just feel weird. We don't feel normal. And when God brings peace in our life, there's a wholeness, there's a stability. And this is not a peace because of all of the circumstances. It is a peace that is found in the Lord. He is in control. So the fruit of a spirit-filled mind is a mind, if you could say it this way, that has an ever-expanding love for God and His people that has a joyful delight in spiritual realities and has a settled peace in my heart, in my relationship with God, in my circumstances. That's the fruit of the Spirit in a believer's relationship with God. Then notice, secondly, the fruit of the Spirit in the believer's relationship with others. And that is, these are three qualities that begin to develop in my life in the way that I live with and work with those that are around me. And the first word is the word long-suffering. 
Now, what does that mean? It means that people are painful. How do you spell people? P-R-O-B-L-E-M-S. Did you ever stop to think how wonderful the world would be without people? How great your class would be without your essential science teacher? How wonderful your hall would be without your RA? How great your room would be without your roommate? That's not healthy, by the way. The word for long-suffering comes from two words, macro, you've heard that, and the word thamia, which is the same word, almost the exact same word for lust. And the idea is that he's saying that, that when we are walking in the Spirit, our strong desires are brought under control And essentially, we have this long desire. The idea is that we have a long temper and not a short fuse. That we actually learn to put up with people. You know, I kind of have some secret uh, enjoyment of sitting on an airplane with a crying baby and watching millennials get irritated. Because they've never had to take care of a child. They've never raised a baby. They've never woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning for one solid month to take care of your child. And so therefore your patience is real short. And throughout our life, God is stretching us. The idea of long-suffering is defined as a state of emotional calm in the face of being provoked or going through some kind of difficult circumstance. Long-suffering defers anger when irritated. It refuses to retaliate when mistreated. It rises above irritation when aggravated. And it rises above without complaint. I mean, think about it. What is the first evidence of a loving person? Now, naturally, our tendency is to think, oh, they're willing to be very sacrificial for others. But you know, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if you give your body to be burned and if you give all your goods away to the poor and you do it without love, it profits you nothing. So actually, you can be very sacrificial and not doing it in a loving way. And when the Bible describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, the first description is that love is patient or long-suffering. Why? Because at our very core... One of the greatest challenges in life is to be patient with people. That is one of our greatest struggles. And the Bible says that as we are growing in the the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit in our life is that the Spirit helps us to be patient with people. Then notice, secondly, he says the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Now, gentleness is a gracious, caring attitude towards those that are around us. It is an attitude of kindness. Now, in the South, you know, we kind of get criticized for being really kind but stabbing people in the back. You know, and people from up North, they're not kind. 
they're not kind at all. They're not they're just going to tell you what they think. Okay, whatever your issue is. But um, but actually, there is there is a kindness that should come from God's people. The Bible says, "Be kind to one another." Jesus said, "My yoke is literally kind or easy." It means to be easy on people and not be hard. Our nature is we're hard on others, easy on ourselves. Actually, we should reverse it, and we should be actually hard on ourselves and easy on people. It's the difference between a good cup of coffee and a bad cup of coffee. You know the difference between truck stop coffee and the kind of coffee you make where you grind your own beans. What's the difference? It's called smoothness. That a good cup of coffee is smooth, is enjoyable, and you don't have this aftertaste. But bad coffee just always leaves you in sort of an, an acidic state. Kindness is the spirit of Joseph, who was kind to his brothers who had terribly mistreated them. It's the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Stephen, and the spirit of Paul, who prayed for the forgiveness of those who had murdered or mistreated them. It's a kindness. It's a kindness when provoked. I was in Florida a number of years ago when I was an evangelist, and we stopped at a gas station. And I won't go into the details, but it was a little gas station. I had this huge truck and trailer, and it was really awkward to try to get my truck and trailer in to get some diesel gas. And I sort of blocked the road a little bit, and there was a car that pulled in behind me, and they started honking their horn at me. It was really irritating. Saturday morning. And then this car comes driving by me, and the guy rolls his window down, and he curses me out. And I said to him, I said, why don't you get out of your car and come over here and say that to me? How many of you feel it? You know? Or maybe when some guy, you know, something happens, and some guy drives by, and he puts up his hand, and he tells me I'm number one, you know? What do you want to do at that time? Now, I have it within me that it is my nature that I actually like to hit people. I really do. I mean, I actually found great enjoyment. I grew up playing football. I grew up playing soccer. I liked hitting people. And I really felt no tinge of guilt about it at all because they deserved it. You know? Now, when I got saved, that had to change. Because that's really not the spirit of the Lord. Why? Because God is kind to us even as sinners. Christ died and God showed his kindness. Then very quickly, number three, God's goodness. The fruit of the spirit is goodness. What is goodness? It is giving with a generous spirit in practical ways that does good for people. Acts 10.38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The Spirit of Christ is found in his merciful miracles where he feeds the 5,000, he heals the blind, and he raises the dead. Goodness is doing beyond what is expected. It is having touches with people that make the difference. Doing things for others even though they will not pay you back. It includes 
the concept of hospitality. The Bible says a pastor should be hospitable. He should be given to hospitality. And the word given literally means to chase or to hunt or to pursue. That's why we say here that we want to persecute people with kindness. That's the idea. I should pursue you, not you pursue me. I go out of the way to show you goodness and to show you kindness in everything. And what is that? It's a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit because of Christ's own goodness towards us. And then finally, and very quickly, the last three are manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit and the believer's relationship with yourself, the Spirit of God working in your life. The first one is called faith or faithfulness. This is somebody who is reliable, dependable, trustworthy, somebody who is loyal. Our founder said the greatest ability is dependability. And the idea is this, as you grow in faith... You grow in faithfulness. Why? Because as you understand what God is like, then I want to be like that. If God makes a promise, I make a promise. If God keeps his promise, we keep our promises. If God says he's going to do this, then we ought to be able to say we're going to do this. And you're reliable. Your word is your bond. These are people you can rely on them to do what they're told, to fulfill their responsibilities, to plan ahead, to be creative with their responsibilities, to improve things, to have a vision for their work, to advance something. Because really, if we love people, we don't want to just live in a state of status quo. We want things to improve. We want to solve problems. We want to finish what we start. We want to support leadership. We want to keep our promises and fulfill our contracts. Love is always faithful. And then meekness. What is meekness? Meekness basically has to do with the way you respond. The opposite of meekness is rebellion. Reaction. Retaliating. Always upset. Always drama. And you can't... I mean, people are like super touchy. And there's always hiding something in their life. There's a pride there or something they really won't deal with. But when a person is broken, it's like a a big, powerful horse who you take a little seven-year-old girl and put it on its back. What could the horse do to that little girl? But when you put a bit in its mouth and a rein around its neck, all of a sudden that little seven-year-old girl can guide that horse and that horse will actually submit to the reins of that and the control of that girl. Nobody in this room wants anybody to control their life. That's human nature. But actually, meekness has the idea of being under control. Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of my Father. The greatest battle for all of us in our heart is the battle of our will. And then finally, the last point he says is temperance. What is temperance? Is self-control over your sinful inward impulses and desires. In Genesis 43, when Joseph saw his brothers, he entered into his bedroom and he wept. But when he came out to meet his brothers, the Bible says he washed his face, went out, and he restrained or refrained himself. Second Peter chapter 1 says that the midway point between moral and spiritual progress is actually self-control. 
He says, add to your faith virtue. And at the end, he says, add to your faith love. And in the middle is self-control. Because both are necessary. Self-control is learning to restrain yourself in every area. Learning to control your time. Learning to control your thought life. Learning to control your taste buds. Learning to control your treasures, your money. Learning to control your your tongue. Learning to control how you respond to the troubles of life. It's always about steady obedience through the emotional upheavals of life. And as we finish, Paul finishes these two verses as he reminds us that no, that there is no law against these virtues. The nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law against those. You don't make a law against love or peace or joy. And he says there's no law that can create these virtues. You can't say that. You can't look at a person and force them to have peace. You can't command somebody to be long-suffering. It all comes down as we as believers accept our personal responsibility to yield ourselves to the Lord's control in our life. And out of that life that is connected to the, we as the branch and he is the vine, out of that life, he brings about in us a dramatic change, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your faithfulness to us in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.